Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers 22. And, you know, as we continue our study through the Old Testament, you know, we traverse uh, different passages of Scripture. And here in Numbers 22 and future chapters, we're going to camp out a little bit here as a people of the way uh, in our journey together as one, the koinonia, the ecclesia. Uh, we're going to camp out here a little bit because there's some deep things, not to suggest that there aren't deep things in prior chapters or future chapters even. Uh, but as New Covenant believers, we have to understand what's happening here in Numbers 22. And here in verse 1 says, Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, if you remember in our previous chapters, you see Israel is different. They're not who they used to be. They're changing in their journey through the wilderness. Yes, it, it's, it, it, I don't like the fact that 11 days became 40 years. I don't like that. For, for many, many reasons. I don't like it. Least of reasons would be that it takes 40 years, that it takes instead of 11 days, it's 40 years. There's something deeper that's happening here. But... In this 40-year journey, Israel is learning obedience. They're learning to fear the Lord, love the Lord, be obedient to Him, obey Him. And you're still going to see moments of disobedience. And as we get further in our studies in the Old Testament, you're going to see even more moments of disobedience to the point where the Lord becomes forgotten. Remember 400 years of silence, uh, uh, Malachi to Matthew, 400 years of silence. And so we're going to get to a point where the Lord becomes forgotten. And you might think about that and, and, and in your mind say like, wow, okay, no big deal. That's Israel. But the same thing happens to new covenant believers. Don't forget that in the last days, apostasy is prophesied. It will come to pass. And I'm in of the opinion that says we're already seeing the start. The start has already happened. That's, in my opinion, I can make a strong case. But as Israel is changing in their uh, travels through the wilderness, here they are, they're camping in the plains of Moab uh, on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. And then look what happens here. Now Balak, Balak, the son of Zippor. Now Balak in verse 4 is revealed that he's the king of the, Mo uh, of Moab, uh, of the Moabites. At the end of verse 4 it says, And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites. So, you know, you see Balak here was king of the Moabites. Now remember, Egypt was, Pharaoh was God on earth. That's how Pharaoh was recognized. Egypt was like the mighty, mighty Egypt. Nobody was more powerful than Egypt. Nobody except the Lord. And the Lord made himself known. And now that Egypt has been reduced to a rubble, Egypt, the might of Egypt is gone, completely gone. Now you have these voids. Who's next? Who, who's, who's going to take the mantle of power, so to speak? And you have this void where you have all these nations, the Moabites, the Amorites, the Hittites, all the, the Canaanites, all these different factions, different areas, different regions. And in their midst is this people, Israel, being led by the Lord. And before, in previous chapters, they were afraid of the Canaanites. They were fearful of the Canaanites which was also disobedience, them unto the Lord, disobedient. 
And the Lord is teaching them, the Lord, and, and they're different because now you see they're fighting. And not just fighting, but they're having victory. And in this victory, it does not come without opposition. It, the same applies in our life in Christ. When you, you are no longer facing opposition, you'll be dead. That's just the life of a Christian. You're always going to face opposition in this life. And then also in the life to come, I mean, we're going to face, Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years, but then he's going to be released again at the end of the thousand years. And that's like the official end. That's straight up, okay, he's thrown into the lake of fire and it is done. But, you know, so we think, okay, we're going to have our glorified bodies. We're going to be in the millennial reign. But, you know, don't forget that the fight is, isn't like, you know, done, done until post a thousand years. So there, we, we still got a long way. That's why, you know, when you, you hear me say sometimes like, it's just a vapor. You know, you're going through hard times. You know, you got this issue, this issue. Yes, we learn how to deal with it. The Lord teaches us. But then at the same time, it's like, well, it's just a vapor. Put things in proper perspective. Eternity for the Christian has already started. That was your birthday in Christ. The day you became a born-again Christian. The day you died in the wilderness. You see, the first generation death in the wilderness. You, according to Adam. But then you, according to Christ... Eternity has already started. Remember, death has no victory for the Christian. Now, if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer, hit pause, listen to the message that says how to, how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then you say the sinner's prayer, and then you come back and you listen and you grow in Christ. People sit, get mad. They say, oh, that's easy believism. That's easy believism. Well, you know, the people who say it's easy believism, they're also the ones who say it's easy walkism. You know, oh, you know, once saved, always saved. You know, oh, that's easy believism, easy believism, easy believism. So, yeah, I can commit all this sin, I can do this, I can do that, and once saved, always saved. They say, oh, that's easy believism, but what about easy walkism? You see, it's not to deny our journey in the wilderness. It's to grow and mature and, 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 and advance in Christ to matriculate. Not advance like, you know, stature-wise, but run our race. Run our race. You know, belief in Jesus Christ, this might come to a shock to you, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. All the sex, all the drugs, all the alcohol, all the fill in the blank, you'll be empty. You'll be empty. And I don't tell you like, oh, you know, I read in the books that you'll be empty. I saw on TV that you'll be empty. I tell you from experience. You'll get burned out on whatever the world has to offer. But what the Lord has to offer, you'll never thirst again. Because you drink of the well. And that well is Christ. And look what happens here in verse 2. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, Balak was the king of the Moabites, saw that Israel had what, what saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Now, remember in the previous chapter, chapter 21, verse 26, the Amorites uh, 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 they 
took land away from Moab. And so from Balak's perspective, they were, you know, from, from Balak's perspective, who was the king of the Moabites, from his perspective, the Amorites were like, whoa, these guys are tough. And then all of a sudden, Israel beats them. Israel just defeated the Amorites. What does that say of Israel? You see, I mean, say for example, like you have, uh, 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 you know, like in fighting, you know, you say you're a fighter, professional fighter. And, you know, you have this guy who you, you, he's always defeating you, you know, this opponent, you know, maybe you're a female fighter, you know. Uh, and maybe you're in a different league. You're like, you know, a 12-year-old in a fighting league, you know. But and you have the, you know, you have the, the mass on and everything, the protective gear. But you're still in a fighting league. Or, you know, maybe even younger and eight years old. And you have like the little, the kids' outfits, you know. The little gi for the kids, you know. And so say there's this opponent who you can never beat. Or they're always beating you getting points or, you know, if you're in the child's league, you know, they're getting points. If you're in an adult league, they're always knocking you out. And then all of a sudden there's this new guy who comes on the scene or this new lady who comes on the scene. And he or she just utterly destroys this guy who you can't beat. Now, what does that say of that guy? What does that say of that lady? It's like, whoa, this guy is tough. This lady is tough. I don't want to mess with them. And that's the position that Balak was in. The Amorites defeated him. You know, they took land away from Moab, uh, the, the Amorites. And then all of a sudden, Israel comes into town. Israel comes on the scene. And remember, they just, they're just passing through. They just wanted to go through. They even asked the king. They even asked. They, they're going to certain regions and they like request permission. You know, like, okay, you know, I don't want to stir any beef. An Old Testament example of living peaceably. Living peaceably, you know, we don't want to stir any beef. We don't want to, you know, cause a, a, a stink over anything. We're just passing through and we want to pass through your lands. Is that okay? And then opposition would come. No, that's not okay. We're going to fight you. And then, you know, Israel was ready for the fight. And they won the fight. But put yourself in Balak's shoes. Balak was freaked out. Man, the Amorites are such a problem for me. But then all of a sudden, Israel comes into town and defeats the Amorites. Whoa, I'm terrified of Israel. That's the position that Balak is Balak is in, the king of the Moabites. In verse 3, And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people, because they were many. He was afraid of Israel. And Moab, Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Remember, Israel is different. Maybe like in previous times, he wouldn't have need to be afraid of Israel because Israel had no sure footing, you know, in the, in the Lord. When they didn't fear the Lord, when they had all kinds of division, when, you know, you have uh, Korah and Korah is, you know, stoking the fire of rebellion in the camp. And the Lord dealt with that. The Lord dealt with it. Remember the sinkholes opened up? And destroyed Korah and all his adherents. Men, women, children, little ones. Destroyed them all. You can look at that from one aspect and be like, whoa, that's mean. But no, the Lord cleans house. Old Testament and New Testament, the Lord cleans house. Look at our study in 1 Corinthians. 
the Lord cleans house. How does he do it? Well, in the Old Testament, he does it himself. In the Old Testament, he uses certain vessels. And in the New Testament, he does it himself and he uses certain vessels. You say, what do you mean he does it himself? Well, in the last days, as he makes himself known, just as he did in Egypt, he makes himself known. He's going to do a lot of things himself. But he also uses vessels. Just like Paul cleans house. Just like Peter cleans house. Just like those in the household of Chloe. They had a role in cleaning house by notifying their head, their, their covering, spiritual covering. Pastor Paul. How beautiful is this? Remember, the Lord never changes. Old Testament, New Testament. The Lord never changes. Culture changes. And when culture changes, don't forget there's, you know, there's the, the old covenant and then there's the new covenant. But in these two covenants, the Lord never changes. Never. It's culture that has changed. And so look what happens here. So Moab, Moab uh, 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 he, he, Balak, scared. In, in, in verse 3 says, And Moab was exceedingly, exceedingly afraid. So Moab, you know, that's not just Balak. Balak is the king. Moab is like the people, the city. Like Think of all the fear that's inside of the Moabite people because they were many Israel was many and and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel you could look at it and be like wow Israel they're strong they're mighty and I get that but don't forget the work is the Lord's the work is the Lord's and Israel's alignment unto him it's not the other way around. It's not Israel is a bunch of tough guys, you know, they're working out in the wilderness, you know, they're lifting weights, getting big and buff and stronger. You know, uh, 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 so that, they, you know, applying uh, uh, human means, carnal means. No, their strength is in the Lord. But the same thing applies to you and me today. It's not like we're you know, a bunch of tough guys, a bunch of tough gals, and we're beating people up and, you know, making Christians by, by, by hook or by crook. <clears throat> no, it doesn't work that way. We're wise in the Lord. Wise in the Lord. And fishing. Our strength is His strength. Or our weakness is His strength. You know, so many times people think, oh, yeah, you know, I got to be big, bad, and tough. No, you don't have to be big, bad, and tough. Some of the strong, some of the so-called toughest people, I'm doing air quotes. If we were to have, you know, face-to-face, you'd see me doing my air, air quotes. Some of the toughest people I know in Christ are also the most humble. Actually, I shouldn't say some, now that I think about it. All of the toughest Christians I know, the toughest ones, they're also the most humble also the most meek why because it's his strength this is an old testament example of you know like remember the the demons they paul i know but who are you from our study in the book of acts when the sons of siva how they wanted to they wanted the power of the holy spirit but the enemy didn't know paul i know but who are you and then the, the, the sons of Siva, they were defeated. 
You see, spiritually, the same thing applies to you and me. The power of the Holy Spirit. Where is the power of the Holy Spirit? Remember, it's not your power. It's the Lord's power. It's not my power. It's the Lord's power. We're just vessels. That's it. And so look what happens here in verse 4. So Moab said to the elders of Midian. Very interesting, the elders of Midian here. Because remember, Jethro was part of this. He, he, was, uh, 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 he was part of Moab. Jethro, father of Zipporah, wife of Moses. And you have these Old Testament examples, Old Testament statutes and ordinances where there's provisions in the law for Gentiles to be grafted into the camp of Israel. Remember how I, I would give the example from time to time where like, you know, say we're Canaanites. And, you know, we worship the Baals. And I know you might think like, well, that's, that's you know, you're going too far there. Worship a Baal? Well, it's, it's, it's no different than who you were before Christ. When you're worshiping alcohol, like I did. Worshiping sex, like I did. Worshiping violence, like I did. Worshiping drugs, worshiping fill in the blank. But when the Lord makes himself known, he might do it himself or he might use a vessel. And then all of a sudden you believe in Jesus Christ and you leave Canaan. You deny the bales, fill in the blank, whatever way, shape or form that is. The alcohol, the sex, the drugs, the whatever. That's what Jethro did. Of Moab. Of Moab. You see? And so the, the, the elders of Midian, Midian is in that region. And that's who Jethro was. A priest of Midian. And the Lord made himself known in Egypt. And you know, Jethro's like, whoa. Yeah, I have this God that I worshipped. I've had these gods that I worshipped. But the God of the Hebrew people... The Hebrew people, people that were slaves of Egypt. Whoa. These bales that I serve, these whatever that I serve, no way, they are nothing. I'm going to leave these bales, I'm going to leave these whatever, and I'm going to worship the God of Israel. And I acknowledge Him. You see? That's what's so beautiful. The Lord makes Himself known and He uses vessels. Abodah, Abodah Mishkan, remember. And he acknowledged the Lord. And, you know, you see what's so beautiful about this, that even though that, you know, you see these, you know, the Moavites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, all these things, all these different tribes or different people. But at the same time, the Lord is still fishing. People are coming to him of these people. That's why there's provisions in the law. It's not just, okay, you, uh, Israel, you know, this is for you and you alone. No, provisions in the law, ordinances in the law where, okay, this person is a Gentile. Bring them inside the camp. Provisions in the law. An Old Testament example of Gentiles being grafted in. Remember, the branch, is, the, the branch doesn't support the root. It's the other way around. That's Romans 11, if you remember our study in Romans 11. 
And so look what happens here in verse uh, 4. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around. Now, some translations say this company will consume everything or, you know, how it translates is like it's 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 literally to lick up. You know, uh, you know, like it's more accurately in the Hebrew to lick up. It's like, you know, if you're starving and you have like a, a plate of spaghetti, you know, and you finish the spaghetti, but the sauce is just so insane that you just like straight up lick the plate. You know, and it's like, whoa, that that was good spaghetti, you know, and it's not just the spaghetti was good. That was good. But this sauce, who made this sauce? Oh, my goodness, this sauce is wonderful. And you're like licking up the plate and like, you know, like before you have to do the dishes and you have these, you know, dirty plates. But you look at the dishes, they're dirty, but they look like they're brand new. Why? Because you lick the plate so much. It looks like a fresh plate. But that's how this translates. Like this company, the Israel people, they're going to lick up everything around us. As an ox licks up the grass of the field, these people, Israel, they're going to destroy everything. It's not just destroy everything. It's going to be like an ox that licks the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. So, Look what happens here. You know, God makes himself known. We know that God makes himself known just as he did in Israel and just as he will do in the last days. Just as he will do through plagues, just as he did in Egypt. Just as he made himself known through pestilence in Egypt. So he'll do doing, during tribulation. Plagues. But yet, Just like in Egypt, there was Goshen for God's people. So too, that during tribulation, there will be Goshen. God makes himself known. But his people do too. Old Testament and New Testament. And you're going to see as we continue our study through the Old Testament, what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten among his people. We've seen it already in Egypt. Because the Lord was definitely remembered. The Lord was acknowledged in Egypt by Zaphnath Paneah, also known as Joseph. You see, and Egypt was saved. It just blows me away so much just to see that, you know, we kind of forget sometimes that the Lord never changes. Nothing new under the sun. Everything that we see happening, there's nothing new under the sun. It's almost like the repetitive nature of human history. And even still, God becomes forgotten. I mean, I teach from America. And, you know, people say we're a Judeo-Christian society. And I could understand people saying that if it were like 1960, 1950, 1940. I could understand people saying we're a Judeo-Christian society. And I teach from America. I'm speaking about America. I don't know where you live, if wherever you're listening from. But in America, people call us a Judeo-Christian society. But today, I can't say that. I can't agree with that. Historically, I can see us as a Judeo-Christian society, 1940, 1930. Yeah, we have our issues. But so does every culture. But today, when the Lord is forgotten, we're like reaping the fruit of that our culture 
salt has lost its flavor. And the Lord tells us when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. And what do we see happening today? A culture, society is being trampled underfoot by men, just as he said. The Lord is making himself known, but who has ears to hear, who has eyes to see? And so look what happens here. Balak, Moabite, the, the Moab, they're freaked out. Whoa, these people, Israel, you know, we were scared of the Amorites. You know, the Amorites, we could take them maybe, you know, we'll fight them. But these people, Israel, they, they were taking names with the Amorites. What are we going to do with Israel? Oh my goodness, we're freaked out. Balak, King Balak, do something. Balak himself was freaked out. And so this is what he does here in verse 5. Then he sent messengers. This is uh, Balak now. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people. Now, the river here is the Euphrates River. Now, Pethor, it's like a different people. Balaam is of, uh, he's not of Israel. He's like a different people, but yet he's a, 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 a divination. He's into divination. He's a diviner. You know, and people, the wise men, according to, you know, different factions. And what happened, people would seek counsel from these so-called wise guys. Like, I'll give you a, a current, a worldly example today. Like, say, for example, you, um, 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 you need to see a therapist. You need to see a counselor for whatever, you know, you need assistance you need counsel on whatever and so you go to the Balaam you know you go to this guy you go to this lady and you say hey I need counsel for this I need counsel for that I need therapy on this I need yeah I'm gonna go to the psychiatrist the psychiatrist for this the psychiatrist for that or you know whatever but the counsel you receive the question you have to ask yourself is it of the Lord or is it not is it of the Lord or is it not and when it's not of the Lord, well, you know, don't expect, don't expect godliness out of counsel that is unbecoming of the Word of God. People receive counsel from all kinds of different sources. And they, you know, you, you can't, I mean, godly fruit only comes from godly trees. You know, it, it, rooted in the Word of God. You can't expect godly fruit from, you know, the trash heaps. You can't expect godly fruit from, you know, uh, wickedness. Now, the Lord can take the wicked and change that person to where that person becomes godly. But you know what he does? He takes that person and he takes them outside of that spe specific reconnoiter. He takes them out of that location. Just like he did with Moses, Moses in Egypt, and the Lord takes Moses out of Egypt, cleans him up, works on him, and then sends him back into Egypt for his task to do his bidding. But the Lord does the same with you and me. Remember Paul says to the, the pastoral epistles, don't use a novice, because the novices are going to get sucked back into the world. But those who are mature, those who, are, who have matriculated, they are able. The cost of babiness comes at a heavy price, as our study in the book of Corinth reveals, or 1 Corinthians. But we see the fruit of that in Corinth. 
But then you see the fruit of godliness by a godly tree who's rooted in God, which is Paul, the vessel that the Lord uses. And not just Paul, Chloe. And not just them. You're going to see the mention in the, in the Corinthian letters. You're going to see the mention of Timothy. You're going to see the mention of Titus. Paul's entourage. Godly people who are with them. And so look what happens here. So Balak, he sends for, uh, he, he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor. This is in verse 5. Which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people to call him. Saying, now this is Balak's, his message to Balaam. Look, a people speaking about Israel. Remember Balak, the Moabite, Balak is king of the Moabites. The Moabites are freaked out. Balak's freaked out. And, you know, they're, they're just taking names. Israel's taking names. The Amorites. And they're terrified. Terrified. Verse 3, Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. And so this is the message to Balak. In verse uh, uh, 5, look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Remember verse 3, he's exceedingly afraid. Therefore, Please come at once, curse this people for me, or ex execrate and to denounce this people for me. Curse these people. Israel, curse them. Balaam, I need your help. You know, you're a diviner. You're a man of wisdom in accordance to the world. You're a man of wisdom. Come here and curse these people for me. He says, for they are too many for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. Very interesting. This is the end of the message to, to, to Balaam. Balak's message to, 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 to Balaam. Balak is, you know, he's sending his messengers and this is the message that he sends. For I know that he whom you, who, whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Very interesting when we see these passages come to life here. So this is the remedy. Balaam, come over here, curse these people, and when you're done cursing these people, maybe we have a chance to defeat them. Because we know, Balaam, I know that whoever, whoever you curse is cursed. And you're going to like weaken them. And in their state of weakness, wow, you know, maybe we have our chance to fight them and defeat them. See? We're going to see something happen here where it's like, wow, this is so... It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it's sobering. And we're going to be camping here for a couple weeks. So get comfortable. Because we're going to be camping here for a couple weeks. A people of the way in our journey through the wilderness. And we're just camping. We're going to camp out here a little bit. In verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. Now Balaam, remember he was a diviner. They came with the diviner's fee. Balaam, we're going to pay you money. And we're going to pay you money. And this is what Balak requests of you. 
He requests that you come over here and that you curse these people, the Israelites, because we know that he, whoever you bless is blessed and whom, he whom you curse is cursed. So come over here and curse these people. And when you're done cursing them, we're going to fight them and maybe we have a chance to beat them. And we're going to pay you a diviner's fee. Now understand here, it's very interesting what we see happening because, you know, Balaam was a diviner, but he had his own gifts and his own abilities. His own gifts and own abilities. You say, what were the gifts? Well, whoever he blesses is blessed and whoever he curses is cursed. Don't forget, you know, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. The blessings of the Lord fall on the righteous and the wicked. You could take the most wicked of people. And then all of a sudden, the most wicked, you know, in, in, in acts of wickedness, they have a baby. And then all of a sudden, the baby, you know, the uh, guy is just blessed out of his mind because he has this beautiful son, this beautiful daughter, and he's just blessed out of his mind. But he still partakes in his wickedness. He's blessed out of his mind. You know, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. You see? But who acknowledges the Lord? But then the world has its own example of, you know, so-called blessings. So-called curses. But what are they to God's people? You know, like when people say, oh yeah, you're blessed, you're blessed, and you know, you're going to win the lottery. Well, bless, the, the blessings of the Lord have nothing to do with money. Sometimes you see the blessings of the Lord, and it is monetar monetary, but God's messengers, when they have that, it, it's not used of themselves. It's not you. I mean, they're, they're funny. Look at look at uh, Barnabas, uh, 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 Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Joseph. You know, leaving all, selling properties and giving one hundred percent of the proceeds to the church to fund the church. Very wealthy people. You know, I know people who spend 20 minutes on a Zoom call. Today, I mean, not Old Testament or New Testament, but today. They'll spend 20 minutes on a Zoom call. In 20 minutes on a Zoom call, the fruit of that, monetarily speaking, $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000, $50,000. And what do they do? They bankroll the church. The underground church. Buy all these Bibles, you know, uh, paying the charter fee to charter a plane to, to fly over a region and drop a, like boxes of Bibles on parachutes and you'll never know it. You'll ne I love, you know, when you never know it, I love that the most because, you know, they're doing it for the Lord. So many times people say, oh, yeah, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. Why do you do this? Why do you do this? You think a $20,000 check, you're doing this for the money. But then you really get down to the brass tacks, look at the, you know, tax documents. And yeah, there's 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 just from like a 30-minute phone call, a 30-minute Zoom call. And what is what is happening with those proceeds? It's funding the underground church. You see? It's the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Don't love money. But it's still something we use 
on this side of eternity is still something that was used in the early church. So be like Barnabas. Don't be like, you know, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Be like Barnabas, you know. Both factions, one side Barnabas, the other side Ananias and Sapphira. Both had the means, both had the funds. But one faction was disobedient to the Lord and it cost them their life. The other side was obedient to the Lord, Barnabas. You know, sometimes we get this idea of money where it's like, oh, that's not good, that's not good, that's not good. It could be that it's not good. What a person does with it can, can be not good, not healthy, dishonorable to the Lord. But it can also be honorable to the Lord to advance the kingdom. And I think it's so powerful when we see passages like this because it just, it's, it's, it's such a trip as New Covenant believers. When we start to see these things come to pass in what's happening with, with Balaam, who was a diviner, and yes, he has his gifts and abilities, but then at the same time, you know, how he has his intimacy with the Lord. You say, what do you mean intimacy with the Lord? Well, we're going to get there. And so in verse 7, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's feet in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. So this is the message we see in uh, verses 5 and 6. When the message is, look, you know, people has come to Egypt. This is in verse 5. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once and curse these people for me. That's what he says. For they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. You see, that's the message. In verse 8, and he said to them, this is Balaam now speaking to uh, the, the, uh, the elders of Moab. And he says, lodge here tonight. This is Balaam now. Lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. You see, so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. He says, as the Lord speaks to me. So you see a picture of Balaam who's in Pethor. Remember in verse 5, he's he, Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor. So Balaam is in Pethor, but he is also like uh, Jethro. Where he has acknowledgement of the Lord, just like Jethro. Jethro of Moab, Jethro of Midian, a priest of Midian. And he says, whoa, I see what God has done to Egypt. He's resting, he's with the people Israel. And whoa, the Hebrew God is God Almighty. That's what Jethro says. The acknowledgement of the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you see also how uh, Balaam is also in a similar camp. A diviner, a diviner in Pethor. And a diviner who had a certain level of abilities. No, don't forget too, remember we, 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 when we, when we in our, our study in 1 Corinthians 8, how we reflected back on these passages in the Old Testament, how even the, 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 the priests of uh, uh, Egypt, in accordance to their gods and in worship of their gods, their gods could also perform things like the Lord. But then, when it came time for hail, 
their gods couldn't do that. And then more plagues, their gods couldn't do that. And then they acknowledge the Lord like, whoa, you know, Pharaoh, you better let these people go. Just as Moses said, because he's, he speaks for him. He's a messenger of the Lord. And the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh, don't mess with these people. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. So you see a picture of Jethro and Balaam. Non-Israelites. Non-Jews, but they abandon their former ways or they abandon, you know, their, as the Lord is making himself known. They acknowledge the Lord. And yes, there is a level of abandonment of their former ways. More so with Jethro, which we'll understand in a little bit. But Balaam still has that acknowledgement of the Lord. Remember verse 8, he says, Hey, you know, lodge here tonight, you elders of Moab. Lodge here tonight. It's okay. I'll shack you up. It's okay. Here, you can sleep comfortably over here. You over here. I got plenty of space. And you just give me the diviner's fee. Give me the diviner's fee. And you know what? He says, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. You see, that's what he says in verse 8, as the Lord speaks to me. So wait a second. So God speaks to a diviner? I thought that diviner, when the Lord says, don't seek the counsel of a diviner. But yet God is speaking to a viner. Now don't forget, to his people, he says, don't seek their counsel. Don't seek the counsel of, the, of a diviner. Don't seek the counsel of witches. Stay away from the witches. Stay away from this. Stay away from the things of the occult. Stay away. That's what we see in the law. Which some, we, some of it we looked at already, but we're going to look at it more in Deuteronomy, which we're going to be in, in a couple more weeks. Well, a couple more months. Lord willing. So God is speaking to a diviner, but then at the same time to his people, he says, don't seek their counsel. But as he says to the people, don't mess around with this, don't mess around with that. He still engages. He still, the Lord still engages those who don't know him. But the same exact thing is today. I mean, we're going to see in, in, in Joshua, we're going to see how like Rahab, a prostitute, he still engages these people. Just like you see in, in, in 1 Corinthians, sexual immorality. Come out of sexual immorality, be alive in Christ, go and sin no more. But the Lord still engages the prostitutes. And when I say engages the prostitutes, you know, don't get filthiness in your mind. He engages the prostitutes to say, hey, come out of that lifestyle and come to Christ. Come to me, he says. Believe in me, he says. People say all the time, yeah, you know, God hung out, you know, Jesus Christ hung out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, all the, the dredges of society. And I say, amen. Amen. It's true. But he also said, go and sin no more. Remember our study on Sunday, a couple Sundays ago with Paul? People were giving beef to Paul, like, hey, Paul, you shouldn't hang around with these people. You shouldn't hang around with these people. Well, Maybe they shouldn't have hung around with these people because they were too weak. They were too young in Christ. But Paul was a worker. 
He's not part of the field. Paul is a worker. That's why you hear me say a lot from time to time. We always say you have to make this distinction. Who is the worker and who is the field? The field is the field. But the workers are the workers. They're fishing. They're making Christ known. They're the vessels that the Lord uses to make Him known. Bringing people to Christ. You see? Oh, Paul, you know, don't hang out with this person. Paul, don't go over here. Paul, don't go over here. Even Remember, even, even Peter and the disciples, when they were telling Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And where do you see the red letters? With Paul. In Jerusalem. You see? And the Holy Spirit was ministering to Paul. You know, hey, Paul, chains, uh, tribulation and chains await you. The whole time in the study in the book of Acts, when we study, you know, people are saying, you know, the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, chains and tribulation await you, Paul. Even the disciples, you know, prophets and prophetesses, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul goes to Jerusalem. Oh, Paul, he didn't listen to the council. He didn't listen to the council of these people. There was the council of the people, but he's obedient to the Lord. Not to say that the people were dis- that the disciples were disobedient, but you see, there's something different about Paul. Remember how would always say he's not like the average bear. You see, he's different. He has intimacy with the Lord. Not to suggest that the others don't have intimacy, but Paul is a little bit different. He's not like the average bear. And even when he was, when chains and tribulation await him, and even when he was in chains and tribulation, remember, Paul, you you almost convinced me to become a Christian. While he was in chains, that's what was told of him. Do you remember? I'm going to turn there because I say it, but. I just want to reference it. And it was Agrippa in Acts 26. When Paul, even in his chains, when Paul told him in chapter Acts 20, uh, 26, verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? That's what Paul was saying. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And this is after uh, 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 it was Festus who was kind of like, you know, uh, Festus was kind of just rejected him. Festus in verse 24 says, Paul, you are beside yourself. You're crazy, Paul. Much learning is driving you mad. Paul, hungry for this knowledge of the Lord. Paul, much learning is, is driving you crazy, Paul. You're crazy. You're nuts. You're beside yourself. You're out of your mind. And then so after he was rejected by Festus, next, who does he go to? Agrippa, who was right there. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know, King Agrippa, that you do believe. Paul is fishing. Now, would Paul encourage, you know, one of the baby Christians from Corinth? In, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One of those baby Christians, would he say, hey, you, you know, go ahead and, and, and you know, uh, be in this council. Be in chains here. 
No, he's a worker. He's not the field. He's a worker. Remember in First Corinthians when you guys, you know, you guys, you guys, you you're not like us. And Paul's not saying like you know we're awesome. You're not like us. No, he's saying just the opposite. You're awesome. We're the dredges of the society. We've become like worthless. We've become the scum of the earth. That's the worker. The scum of the earth. If you're a worker for Christ, you will have zero friends. You, I mean, you might have a small entourage, but aside from that, you, you will have zero friends. You will be the scum of society, the scum of the world, the scum even inside the church. People will hate you. You're so mean. You're so mean. You're beside yourself. You lost your mind. That's what they'll say. And Paul, when Festus said, you're crazy, you lost your mind. Then he goes to Agrippa. You believe, I know you believe the prophets, Agrippa. In verse 28, Acts 26, verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian, Paul. And I wonder if Paul just had like a little smile on his face. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I don't know if Agrippa ever became a Christian. I hope that he did. I hope, hope, hope that that he did. That we're going to be in our glorified bodies at the marriage supper. And then, you know, who is this guy? I know this guy was introduced to this guy, but who is this guy over here? Hey, do you remember Agrippa? That, that what, The account of Agrippa? Yeah, here he is. He stands up. Hello, I'm Agrippa. Oh my goodness, Agrippa, you did believe. You do believe. You did believe the prophets. And the prophets, your belief in the prophets. You had your encounter with Paul. And, you know, yes, Paul was sent to Rome, but in the course of time. You know, Paul was dropping those little time bombs in your heart. And in the course of time, boom, that bomb went off. And you believed you became a Christian. Wow, Agrippa, let me give you a big fat hug. Because I love you. I can't wait to be at the marriage supper, you know. Like, it's going to be so beautiful just to see all these people. And worship the Lord. Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both. Might become both. Christian. He says, both almost and altogether such as I am. Except for these chains. Except for these chains. Why? Because you guys are the field. You guys are God's building. These chains don't belong on you. Because you're in the field. You're God's building. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. I don't want you to have these chains. But these chains are for me. Because I'm a worker. You have to make these distinctions. Even more so in these last days. But when I say you have to make these extinct, uh, distinctions, because it's going to help you mature in Christ. It will help you grow and matriculate. And put aside the elementary things. Go from kindergartner to first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seven, on to higher academia. Spiritually speaking, I'm not a fan of higher academia today. Worldly speaking. But spiritually speaking, to advance matriculate, mature. A lot of babies in the church. A lot of babies in the church. 
Not so with the remnant. There's something different about the remnant. The remnant is not like the average bear. Let's go back to our study in Numbers. And in Numbers 22... So it's like, wait a second. So how come the Lord is speaking to, how come the Lord is speaking to a diviner? Well, how come Jesus Christ spoke to a prostitute? You see? He tells his people through the vessels, no more sexual immorality, such were some of you. But he still engages. As the Lord makes himself known, he still engages. It's the same exact, you know, you hear me say, come one, come all. I don't care if you're a murderer, a, a, a tax cheat, you know, homosexual, transgender, uh, 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 whatever, you know, heterosexual sin. You're a sex head. You're going to the strip clubs. You're a crackhead. You're alcoholic. I don't care. Because I care about your soul. You come to Christ. You believe in Christ. And you come to the cross and you receive Jesus Christ. You repent of your sin. You receive Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You're born again in Christ and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you're alive in Christ. And then go and sin no more. You come dirty, you come filthy, prostitution, your sex head, your drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. I could care less. You come to Christ. And in Christ, we stay in Christ. We abide in Christ, which means what? All those things which we were, we are no more. Because you're born again in Christ. The old man has been reckoned dead. The old woman has been reckoned dead. Now you hear me say, I don't care if you're a murderer. I really don't care if you're a murderer. You still come to Christ. And then when you're in Christ, we're going to call the police and say, yes, you know, you're a murderer. And then you're going to go to prison and serve your time. Because you have to reap what you have sown. You say, I don't want to come to Christ because of that. It's just a vapor. It's a life sentence. Okay. It's still a vapor. You see, it's still a vapor. This world is fading and it's fading fast. And, you know, I hate it, but I also love it. Because the world is not worthy of us. You say, whoa, that sounds very boastful. Some, you know, one time I was talking to a guy who was a Christian. And he says, oh, what's the name of your church? I says, the way. And he like laughed at me, like the way, like, do you think you're the only way you think you're, it's like, wait, do you, have you not read the Bible? The way is what they were, the, the Christians were called. And you haven't even read the book of Acts. I mean, I didn't say that, but I thought it, you know, we just had a little, little mini Bible study. Oh yeah, it's in the Bible. It's like, you know, I, I don't think it's anything fancy. Like, you know, it's not like, you know, we're the special ones. You just read the Bible and you see the early church was the people of the way. A remnant. You see? And so as we see this Old Testament engagement of... This Old Testament engagement outside of Israel. Just like we see the engagement of those 
outside the building, those not in the field, by the workers, in accordance to the new covenant. We also see something not so pretty. There's beauty in the engagement of things outside the camp because that's, that's how the Lord captured my heart. That's how the Lord captured your heart. And we fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Him. But there's an ugly side of what's happening with Balaam. Balaam is an Old Testament example of falling away. Because he has intimacy with the Lord. We're going to see the Lord and Balaam. We're going to see a picture of their intimacy here in chapter 22. Beautiful, beautiful intimacy where he speaks to the Lord. The Lord speaks to him. Beautiful. But then you're also going to see him walking away. Which is prevalent today. And it's going to get worse. It's going to grow worse and worse. So much so that the Bible prophesies that the great falling away will happen. Let's turn really quick to 2 Peter chapter 2. And here in 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verse uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, oh, I was in chapter 1. I was like, what? I don't remember that. <laughs> Second Peter chapter two, uh, verse one. Second Peter chapter two, verse one. This is Brother Peter, another vessel. We've been studying a lot because we're you know we've been in we've studied the Book of Acts, which you know towards the end is like predominantly Paul towards the end, but then Romans, Paul's letter, First uh, Corinthians, Paul's letter, but this is. Brother Peter's letter, another worker, a different vessel, serving the same Lord under the same spirit, the same head, Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, 2 Peter, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Notice inside the church, Brother Peter is warning the church. False teachers among you. Remember our study in Acts 20? In Acts 20, how Paul revealed, the Holy Spirit revealed through Paul, that elders, the overseers, can become wolves. This false teaching can enter a church, enter a fellowship. Even as there will be false teachers among you, so it's inside the camp of the church who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Very interesting. Secretly bring in. Which means that maybe they were wolves from the beginning. Maybe they transitioned into wolves. Maybe they were wolves from the beginning. And they are secretly, secretly bringing in these destructive heresies. Even denying the Lord who bought them. Very, very interesting. Christians who defected away from truth, purchased of the Lord. Oh, but once saved, always saved. That's a nice theory, but it's false. Such is revealed here in these passages of Holy Scripture. 
the Lord bought them. And they denied the Lord who bought them. And in their state of denial of the Lord, all of a sudden they start to bring in these destructive heresies. That's what's so beautiful about knowledge, which is a gift. It's not the greatest gift, but it's a beautiful gift. Why? Because when you have the gift of knowledge, you can identify, hey, that's a destructive heresy. Maybe you're a wolf. And if you're a wolf, I need to kill you. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking, but wolves need to be killed. Remember Pastor Paul to Pastor Titus? Their mouths must be stopped. They speak, they, 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 they speak, they teach on things which they ought not to teach of. Knowledge is a beautiful gift. Not the greatest gift, but it's a beautiful gift nonetheless. Denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Notice it's self-inflicted because they bring this upon themselves and many will follow their destructive ways. And many will follow. Remember we studied on Sunday when Paul says, follow me? He doesn't say, follow me, period. And we're going to go over here. No, follow me as I follow Christ. And the proof is in the pudding. We read the book of Acts. Wow. Of the Lord, we see the fruit. Remember the Lord says, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. You'll know because you'll look at the fruit. The fruit will reveal. You look at the fruit of Paul. Look at the fruit of his words, his letters to the church. Beautiful, beautiful, godly fruit. And Paul says, okay, follow me. Not just follow me, period. Follow me as I follow Christ. We're going to Zion. That's what he says. Follow me as I follow Christ. And along the way, I'm going to teach you how to fight. You see? Absent the gift of knowledge. Absent being a Berean. When these People, these false teachers who come in inside the church, in the camp. And absent the gift, absent the usage of the gift of knowledge. How many people do you think will be able to identify these false teachers? Very few. That's absent the gift of knowledge. I say very few, if any at all. Because here in verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. You must. Beautiful, beautiful people of the way. A remnant according to grace. You must have a fervent, fervent, fervent love of truth. No matter how much it hurts. You must have a fervent love of truth. Because that's how these destructive heresies enter. Because you don't have a fervent love of truth. It's not pretty. Remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll just read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion 
that they should believe the lie. You see? That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You must, you must, you must, beautiful people of the way, beautiful flock of Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. You must have a fervent love of the truth. You must. Very rarely will I give any kind of mandates. Actually, like and sometimes I'll say, you know, I'll make a strong suggestion. Sometimes I'll say, highlight this. Sometimes I'll say, ladies, highlight this. Sometimes I'll say, beautiful men, highlight this. But for the beautiful people of the way, the remnant according to grace, I will give a mandate. Have a fervent love of the truth. No matter how much it hurts, you must love the truth. Genesis to Revelation, love the truth. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. So these false teachers, they come in. They come in, they're inside the camp. They deny the, the Lord who bought them. Who bought them. They were, at one point in their lives, they were a blood-bought people. Except they left, they walked away. And when they walked away, they bring in these destructive heresies secretly. In verse 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways. Be very, very careful who you follow. You might have 10,000 preschool teachers. You might have 10,000 preschool teachers. But they're preschool teachers. Many will follow the destructive ways of these false teachers. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. You must love the truth. People blaspheme the truth. You know, that's a little marker. That's a red flag. Could it be that they don't know the truth? Maybe they're speaking. They ought not to teach on these things. They, they stand at the pulpit. They teach from the pulpit. But they have no business behind the pulpit because he's a novice. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe he needs to learn more or maybe you've identified a wolf and wolves need to be killed supernaturally. I'm not saying, you know, go out and kill the guy. I'm saying, you know, they need to be dealt with spiritually for the sake of the church, for the sake of the body, for the sake of the camp of the church. Now, turn with me to cha uh, uh, the same chapter, chapter first, second Peter chapter 2. In verse 13, about these false teachers who bring in their destructive heresies, right in the middle of verse 13, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. You know, this is inside the church, but, you know, Paul addressed this. You know, the, they, they, they feast with you. Remember the, the Lord's Supper? And people would come, eat, you know, and get, you know, drunk. That was inside the church. Paul says, this isn't good. Don't do that. This isn't, don't do that anymore. Because remember, the leaven has been dealt with. And the leaven is still, you know, it, it, not just being dealt with, but, it, you know, there's like stop gaps, like preventive measures to prevent the leaven from happening again. And when it comes to the Lord's Supper, it's like, hey, you don't come here to just get fat and happy and get drunk. No, you come here, it's, it's holiness unto the Lord. And Peter Remember, another worker, 
serving the same Lord in the same spirit is also saying the same thing. You see, you have this... Um, You have this alignment, this union, this merger, I'll say. Same spirit, same Lord. Two different vessels, but both workers. Brother Peter, beautiful, beautiful Brother Peter. They are spots and blemishes cruising in their own deceptions. Remember, they secretly bring in these destructive heresies. While they feast with you, having eyes. That's what's so beautiful about the division we study in 1 Corinthians. When Paul says, you know, anybody named a brother who's sexually immoral, you know, a, a, a reviler, you know, a, a drunkard, you know, not even to eat with such a person. Don't even eat because it's leaven. It's leaven inside the camp. And, you know, people could look at that and be like, wow, that's so mean-spirited. That's so mean-spirited. But don't forget, the, the worker's job, the worker's job, which is multifaceted, but there's sheep and lamb that need to eat. There's sheep and lamb that need to be protected. There's sheep and lamb that need to be led to Zion. To paradise. They need to grow. You see? And then all of a sudden, remember too, that you know when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, look where Paul is going. Look at the direction that Paul is going. As he's the one who says, I am crucified with Christ. And then all of a sudden we see this. He says, having eyes full of adultery. Eyes full of adultery. What do you see in this last day's church? Eyes full of adultery. That's what you see. You hear me say pornography is a cancer in the church? With men and women. Pornography is a cancer in the church. You know, I have to say a little, a, a little side message to parents. Teach your children to respect their bodies. Teach your children. I, I can't mandate, but I'm very close to, you know, if I could mandate, I would. Teach your children to respect their bodies and the bodies of another. Teach them well. Because there's this thing going out online. It's called uh, like uh, OnlyFans. And it's basically pornography. People can become their own. They can do their own pornography stuff. And they make money. They make a lot of money, a lot of money, like straight up millions of dollars. I was reading this article, and it's Christian organization, and they were just warning about OnlyFans. You know, it's like you know, you create this profile, and you know, you you basically film your own pornography, and you know, people pay you. And there was a lady who made a million dollars in three days. In three days, she made a million dollars. By doing her own pornography on OnlyFans. And this is, a, you know, young kids today, the millennial generation, Generation X, they're not workers. They don't like to work. 
they don't like to work, you know. They like to claim other people's money. They like, they like the labors of another person. And because they don't like to work, and then all of a sudden they say, well, you know, I can become a millionaire in less than a week. And so what do they do? Create their OnlyFans profile, do their pornography, no respect for their bodies, no respect for the bodies of another, and they're millionaires. But they sold their soul to the devil. Parents, parents, teach your kids to respect their bodies. There, it's a minefield everywhere we go. And if you want to sleep, you do so at your own peril. Teach your kids to respect their bodies. Teach your kids to respect the bodies of another. And you, as parents, you respect your bodies. And you respect the bodies of another. You teach by example. You know, you want to be a sex head? You know, you're teaching your kids. Don't be a sex head. You need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In your mind, be obedient to Christ. With your thoughts, be obedient to Christ. Don't have a dirty mind and expect to teach your kids holiness. No, purity. Purity. I'm it. A lot of times people, you know, they'll be pulled away for a thousand dollars. They'll be pulled away for a hundred dollars. But for a million dollars, a young girl, she lies about her age. Says she's instead of she's being 18, he lies about her age. She's really 14, 15. Opens up the OnlyFans account, does the pornography. And in less than a week, she's a millionaire. Minefields everywhere. It's the last days. It's the last days. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, even the elect. Those are the words of our Lord. Second Peter still. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, about these false teachers having eyes full of adultery. Think about how blind these people are. They have eyes, but they don't have eyes to see because their eyes are full of adultery. And that cannot cease from sin. Cannot cease. They're false teachers. Meaning what? They're teachers of false things. <laughs> They're teaching they're teaching. They're at the pulpit. And they're teaching. What in the world are they doing at the pulpit? What in the world are they doing being called teachers? You see? Bereans know. Bereans can identify them. Workers, shepherds, overseers. They can identify such people. But the multitudes, the majority, the flock, they can't identify. Only the Bereans. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Following the way of 
Balaam, the son of Beor. You see? That's where we're at in our study in Numbers. The introduction of Balaam, who has beautiful, beautiful intimacy with the Lord. But then it changes. It shifts. Balaam is an Old Testament example of falling away from Christ. How does that happen? As verse 15 reveals, they have forsaken, they have abandoned the right way. The right way. And gone astray, you see. It's to go away, to be deceived, to seduce, and listening to the wrong voice. They've gone astray. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Remember Paul says, follow me. Not follow me, period. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul says. And you look at the fruit. You read the book of Acts. And we see. We see the works of his hands. We see the steps of his feet. We see the outpouring of his heart. The letters to the church in Rome. The letters to the church in Corinth. I can go on, but these are the ones we've studied. In recent, you know, past years, we've already studied Galatians. We've already studied Ephesians. But we're going to keep going through the Word of God systematically. Genesis to Revelation. We get to Revelation. Boom. We'll start right back at the beginning. Why? Because we forget. We forget. We're in these earth suits. Gone the way of Balaam. We remember Paul when Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. The outpouring of his heart, the work of his hands, the steps of his feet, what he writes on parchment. Sending runners out. Send this to the church in Corinth. And then he says you know, to, uh, to Timothy, only Luke is with me. You know, the more the closer, the more intimacy you have with Christ, the closer you get to the Lord, the closer you are with the Lord, you're not going to have any friends. It's not a popularity contest. You're not going to have any friends. No, but you'll be like you'll be like Paul. Only Luke is with me, and whoever your Luke is, that person, you know, whoever the Luke is. Remember Paul, an old man pouring his heart out onto parchment to encourage the church, to warn the church, to comfort the church, to teach the church. And Paul dies, he gets his head chopped off, and boom, activated the next generation of righteousness. I shouldn't say when Paul dies. Pre, before he dies, precursor to his death, boom, the second generation activated. Titus. Timothy. They're like in training, in our the early early passages of uh, of uh, uh, um, Corinthians. They're like in training, walking with Paul, part of Paul's inner circle, and not an inner circle just to be an inner circle. They're being trained 
separated from the things of the world. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're activated. So, in verse 15, they have gone the way these false teachers. They've gone the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Very interesting. Love the wages. Remember? These wise, the elders of Moab, they came with the diviner's fee. Remember? He just mentioned that in Numbers 22. The diviner's fee. Something about the diviner's fee that Balaam really liked. Really liked. What does the Bible tell us about hirelings? What does Jesus Christ tell us about hirelings? They like the money, but they don't care for the sheep. Harm comes, and what do they do? They abandon the sheep. Why? Because they want the money. They like the money. They like the profit. Instead of being of profit, they're the the false prophets like the prophet. In verse 16, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. You see, God spoke. You know, so many times I've heard people say all the time, well, you know, God can speak through a donkey. He did in the Bible. God spoke through a donkey. So I'm going to take the counsel of this guy. I'm going to listen to the counsel of this lady. I'm going to adhere to the counsel of this person because, you know, the Bible says God God even spoke through a donkey. No, if you're adhering to the counsel of a donkey, that's not a pretty picture. That's going the way of Balaam, who has who had forsaken the wrong way, uh, the right way. Forsaken the right way. Don't forget that Balaam, when the donkey spoke, Balaam was disobedient. So if you're listening to the counsel of a donkey, that says a lot. Less, uh, you know, forget the donkey, forget whoever you're listening to. That says a lot about you, my friend. And I say, I love you. I lo- I'm telling you this because I love you. I can't tell you how many times people told me, oh yeah, you know what? I listen to this guy. I listen to this guy. And this person who's not even a Christian, he's an alcoholic. Yeah, he does his sex. And yeah, he goes to the strip clubs. And yeah, he does this. But you know what? I'm going to listen. He gets wise counsel. Well, why, you know, why do you expect you know, holiness to come from rotten trees? Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. God spoke through a donkey. He can speak to this guy. Okay, let's forget the guy. Let's forget the donkey. Balaam was disobedient. Balaam had forsaken the right way. Don't be like Balaam. You see? A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. You see? It just blows me away so much how the Bible teaches it. We're in our study in Numbers, the Old Testament. But as a shadow of the things to come, remember Paul says that these things written of old were written for our warning, for our admonition. And you see an Old Testament example of a falling away. Beautiful. We're at Numbers. Numbers 22. Beautiful. You see the intimacy. But it's temporal. Don't let your walk with the Lord be temporal. 
Don't let your walk with the Lord be for a short period of time. Don't be a short-term believer. You believe in Jesus Christ to your last dying breath. Even if it costs you your head. Of these false teachers. Teachers, 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 teachers. They're behind the pulpit. Teaching. But they have no business behind the pulpit. Purchased of the Lord. Denying the Lord who bought them. And what does the Bible say here in verse 17, 2 Peter chapter 2? These are wells without water. You see, people want water. People want to drink water. The living water. But where do they gather? Where do they congregate? Where do they assemble? Wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. You see, that's how false teachers, the lust of the flesh, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Remember verse 1, false teachers among you. And it's not just through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, which is the uh, filthiness. They appeal to the flesh, the things of the flesh. That's how they appeal. That's their doorway into your heart. But when you love truth, when you have a love of truth, even when it hurts, and you're a Berean, These false teachers can't get away with it. They open doors with some people. They go right down to the heart and they corrupt the heart. But not so with the remnant. Because the remnant has a fervent love of the truth. And these soothsayers come into the camp of the church. And they corrupt with flattery, speaking the allure of the lust of the flesh and through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, they, how they behave in fraudulence when it says live in error. It's to behave in fraudulence. Remember, this is the modus operandi of the false teacher, the false prophet. Remember the division that we see in Corinth in our study on Sundays? The division that we see in Corinth where Paul says, anybody named a brother. This one guy, take him and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Destruction of the flesh. Anybody named a brother, don't even eat with such a person who's involved with the, you know, the drunkenness, the sexually immoral. Don't even eat with such a person. Put away from you this unclean thing. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. You're so mean. That's the call of the worker. That's so mean. That's so mean. Well, if you think such, maybe you're in God's field. Maybe you're in God's building. But you're not a worker. People say all the time, oh, let's just love people and let God deal with everything else. You see? 
They're following the way of Balaam. Such a mindset is following the way of Balaam because it's disobedient. It's disobedient to his word, the word of the Lord. No, God's workers. God's workers are his servants. And servants don't do their own bidding. They're servants unto the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. They have a job to do. If you're a, ser- if you're a worker, if you're biblically identified as a worker, you will have zero friends. I tell you the truth. You will have zero friends. Everybody will hate you. But praise be to the Lord. Rejoice. You have to stay faithful to the Lord. To the very end. Even when it costs you your head. Stay faithful to the end. Oh, I can't tell you. I read these account, these, you know, on the private message boards of what's happening in the persecuted church, the underground church. Oh my goodness, these are the most beautiful, beautiful people. Pastors who get maimed. Pastors who are killed. They refuse to marry because they don't want a, a they 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 love a woman but they refuse to marry because they don't want to put this woman in harm's way and even still they'll get maimed they'll get beaten they'll have their teeth knocked out they'll have their arms cut off and they're still teaching the bible they won't stop teaching the bible finally they get killed and then, you know, but, you know, they've raised the next generation. They have their Titus. They have their Timothy. They've trained them up. And I can't wait to meet these beautiful people in paradise. Of the most, utmost beauty. But the false teacher is crafty, a servant of Satan. They speak the great swelling words, as is written here in verse 18, of emptiness. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, remember verse 1. They denied the Lord who bought them. The the middle of verse 20, they are again entangled in them, entangled in the pollution of the world. They are again entangled in in them and overcome. Translates as and defeated. These are people who never learned how to fight or if they did learn how to fight, never put those tactics into employment. And fight the good fight. It's straight up war. Satan. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants you dead. He'll offer your sons and daughters a million dollars. In three days, in a week, they'll be millionaires. In a month, gobs and gobs of money. All they have to do is sell their soul to him. And they'll have all the riches of the world. You see? 
but who knows how to fight? Who knows how to fight? The Bereans? They're fighters. They're again entangled in them in the pollutions of the world and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Can you imagine? Better for these false teachers not even to have known. Than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. You see? Oh, but once saved, always saved. You see, people get mad. Easy believism. I don't like easy believism. But when you read the Bible, belief is pretty easy. Belief is pretty easy. Oh, I don't like easy believism, but I like easy walkism. Well, if you're a baby, if you're a baby, you've been a Christian for a month, praise be to the Lord. But if you're a baby and you've been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years, that's not good. We need to grow in Christ. Bereans don't do that. Because it's a war zone. Oh, God can speak through donkeys, so I'll listen to this counsel. I'm hard up for cash flow, so I'm just going to open up a, a OnlyFans. You see, sell my body online. You see? Pornography. A cancer in the church. And it's metastasized. And it hasn't stopped. It will not stop. It's going to grow. It's going to get so much worse than it is today. So much worse. The sexual deviancy we see in the church. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. The sexual deviancy we see today. And you have the millennials, the X generation, or the Z, generation Z. They don't want to work. They don't want to work. They vote these socialists. They don't want to work. They, want, they don't want to pay their student loans. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. I want my free this. I want my free that. Oh, but I got to pay rent and I don't want to work. So what do I do? You know what? I'll sell my body. No big deal. The devaluation of their own body. Parents, 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 parents. Teach your kids to honor the Lord. Respect their body. To respect their body. Male and female. You think, oh, only the girls need to know this. No, the guys do too. Supply and demand. You see? Man, teach your boys to respect women, to honor women. And you teach them by example. You want to be a stupid husband? Okay, you're going to have stupid sons. It's not, you know, I, I call it like I see it. I would speak if I if I knew that only men were listening, I would I would speak differently. Maybe you could say maybe a little more brash. Not dishonoring the Lord. No cuss words. I wouldn't cuss. But men, you want to be stupid? Oh, that's so mean. How dare you okay, I'll say it in the Greek, just as Paul does. You want to be an idiotes? I, I thought stupid was nicer. 
But you want me to do like Brother Paul? Okay, I will. You want to be an idiot? If you want to be an idiot male and raise idiot sons, that's on you. That's your choice. God didn't make you a robot. You have free will. But don't forget the millstone. You cause a little one to fall away from Christ. And the Lord is the one who tells about the millstone. I thought it was nicer before. You know, I thought, you know, you want to be stupid. Don't be stupid. Stupid's a choice. Being an idiotes, an idiot, that's a choice. Don't be that way. You say like, oh, that's so hurtful, that's so hurtful. It's only hurtful if you're stupid. But if you're not stupid, it's not, what's hurtful? What's, what's the hurt? If you're not stupid, if you're not an idiot, how can it hurt if it doesn't apply to you? You see, we have to be wise. There are minefields everywhere we go. I mean, let's you know, scratch off the kids for a moment. Everywhere you step, there's a minefield that wants to blow you away. You step in the wrong place, boom, say goodnight. Metaphysically speaking. And that's for you, the learned one, the one with knowledge. I'm I, assuming I'm speaking to Bereans. How much more worse is it for your children, your little ones? You have to teach them. You have to show them. Teach them by example. There is a way in accordance to this world how to earn income and work as unto the Lord and earn money. But Satan, he'll flash all the money in the world. He'll promise riches. And it's, you know, millionaire in three days. All you got to do is sell your soul. You see? And once you're done selling your soul, then you sell your body. It's the last days. And it's going to get worse. Worse and worse and worse and worse. You speak against stuff like this? You speak against stuff like this? The people who do it, they're going to hate you. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And they're going to be in love with the false peace. And it's going to get worse. And finally, hey, you're intolerant of my lifestyle. Now I got to kill you. That's what they're going to say. And that's what they're going to do. It's prophesied to happen. You see? Verse 22, But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed to her wallowing in the mire, male and female. The male is a dog, and the female is a pig. It's the false teacher. The false teacher. You see? The false teacher who have forsaken the right way and they have gone astray. And they are following the way of Balaam. And you know what? P 
people follow them. They're following them. Don't follow such people. You exercising the spirit inside of you, the, 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 the exercise, the application of using the fruit of the spirit. You identify these things. The Lord has given you that ability. Use it. Oh, that's a false teacher. I'm not going to listen to him. Oh, there's a false teacher. I'm not going to listen to her. Oh, this guy's giving me counsel about this. Oh, this lady's giving me counsel about this. Nope, I'm going to reject it. Why? The Lord has given you that ability. Use it. In your love of knowledge, not the greatest gift, but a beautiful gift. Turn with me to Jude, the book of Jude, chapter 1. Only one chapter, but Jude, chapter 1. And in Jude, chapter 1, verse 4, Brother Jude says this, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Very interesting. Brother Jude, a different worker, a different worker, same Lord, same Spirit, just like Peter, just like Paul. The alignment, this merging, if you will. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men. Ungodly men. You have to look at the fruit. Who turned the grace of our Lord into lewdness. Very interesting. Just like Peter just said. Lewdness, that's how they corrupt. Lewdness. Deceiving through the flesh. They turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are certain men who have crept in unnoticed. They're inside. Inside the camp. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But these are people that are inside the camp. And Brother Jude says this in verse 8. In verse 8, he says this, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, notice, this is Michael now, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dare not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. That's part of spiritual warfare. You don't tangle with Satan. I mean, when you do have a satanic encounter, a demonic encounter, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. That's it. Because there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus rebuke you. That's it. Don't get it. You know, you see like on Christian movies, you know, people like having a conversation with Satan. You know, they have these big old spiels with Satan. And they see, they use Christianese. Michael the archangel, not a human, Michael the archangel dared, dared not bring against Satan a reviling accusation. Dared. This is Michael. And yet humans do it all the time. You see? You're no match for Satan. No match for Satan. But in Christ, you see? Remember the demons with the sons of Siva? Jesus I know, Peter I know, 
But who in the world are you? You see, people like to call themselves fighters, but they don't even know how to fight. But these, in verse 10, remember they're filthy dreamers, ungodly, they defile the flesh, they've crept in, they're inside the church. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally. Like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. You see, it's self-inflicted. Woe to them, exclamation point. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in, in the error of Balaam for profit. You see, the error of Balaam. A people who are ungodly, and they've crept in unnoticed. They are inside the camp. Balaam. Just as Brother Peter, in spite of the Spirit, wrote these down, the example of Balaam, and so we see as well. Same Spirit, different worker. Brother Jude. They have, they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Remember the diviner's fee? He really liked the diviner's fee. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. We just read that. We just studied Korah. Number 16. In verse 12, these are spots. These are stains is how it translates. These are spots in your love feast. We just studied that too on Sunday. The feast of the Lord's Supper. When a church gathers and feasts, it's holy. These are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear. No fear of the Lord. They might love the Lord, but no fear of the Lord to say, hey, cut it out. Don't do this. This isn't right before the Lord. No fear whatsoever. When the Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which says what? Because they have no fear of the Lord, they don't have wisdom. They feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead. Remember, we studied that too. You know, the body without the head, no life. No life. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The way of Balaam. You see, the way of Balaam running greedily in his error. You know, and it just blows me away so much because the Bible teaches us these things. The Lord shows us these things. But who has eyes to see and ears to hear? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, red letters. I mean, the word became flesh, but this is straight up red letters. Not empty. Black letters, the word became flesh. But these are red letters even still. But I have a few things against you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have, because you have there those who hold or who adhere to the doctrine of Balaam 
who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Very interesting. The works of the flesh. You see? That's how these wicked people come into the church. This is how they enter the church. Deceivers, false teachers. They're teachers, but they're false. You must have a love of the truth, no matter how much it hurts. You must have a deep, profound love of the truth. If you don't have that, get that. Fall in love with the truth. The truth of God's holy word. Genesis to Revelation. No skipping. No skipping. Like you have these false teachers. The uh, uh, the Saddleback guy. I forgot his name. Rick Warren. Rick Warren says, don't study prophecy. Don't study prophecy. It's too judgmental. Rick Warren, one of the largest churches in the world. Saddleback. Biblically, false teacher. But you say that and the world will hate you. Christians, Christians will hate you. But they're just babies. They don't know. They've been babies for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Nobody has taught them. Because these teachers, they, they're in the pulpit. And they teach. But they teach falsehood. They might even be called the head pastor. But biblically, the real head pastor is Jesus Christ, son of the Most High God. But Rick Warren, Saddleback, he says, don't study prophecy, don't study these passages about the last days, the end of days, it's too judgmental. Don't expect truth from false. These so-called teachers who biblically are identified as false. You can't expect truth from such people. Only poison. It's the last days. The great, great, great falling away. The apostasy. Apostasia. It's prophesied to happen. It will happen. I could say arguably it has already started. I don't even have to say that. The proof is in the pudding. You see it. You see it. The Bible refers to these days as perilous times. It's not without reason. It is perilous. Minefields everywhere you go. Satan is tempting everywhere you go. Everywhere we go. Satan wants to kill you. Sniper fire. Where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? Where are the pastors? Where are the shepherds? Where are the workers? Just as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Where are they? Now, if you, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this message and biblically you're identified as a false teacher, you need to step down and you need to repent and you need to get right with the Lord. 
it is much better for you to be humbled on this side of eternity than in the life to come. Save your own soul and those who listen to you. Save them. A lot of things can be learned in the wilderness. As much as I like 11 days over 40 years, a lot happens in that 40 years. Good, bad, and ugly. But Israel learns in that 40 years. These passages that we've studied in the New Testament as New Covenant believers, it's biblical application for New Covenant believers. Holy application for New Covenant believers when we go back to Numbers 22 and see what's happening here with Balaam. Let's go back to Numbers 22. And here in Numbers 22, remember the the goal that Balak had, the goal that what, what Balak sent his uh, uh, the elders to go and and you know the request unto Balaam in verse five. Look, a people has come from Egypt. This is Israel. See, they cover the face of the earth and they're settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he who, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. And so in verse 7, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. The diviner's fee, very interesting. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, you see. In verse 9, then God came to Balaam. Then God came to Balaam. This is the very beginning of beautiful, beautiful intimacy. But it doesn't end well. It does not end well. Why? Because Balaam made his choice. An Old Testament example of falling away from Christ, a people who have gone the way of Balaam. For the people of the way, a remnant, a remnant according to grace, beautiful, beautiful people of the way of whom I love. Finish well. Finish well. To your very, very last breath. Finish well and learn from the example of Balaam. We're going to end our study here and Lord willing, pick up next week in verse 9 of Numbers 22. God bless you. I love you.